Welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. And special treat, you all are awful because you pirated this episode, which is why you're getting this special intro. Oh, you had downloaded it legally. You, Can you not even pirate a podcast, a free podcast? I don't Steve. know. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Were they pirating but, it? Pirating the episodes very rampantly? Because, yes, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But, okay. So, no, you're not awful. I'm sorry. We're reviewing chapter 21 of The Mandalorian titled The Pirate, hence the play on pirate. Yes, exactly. Yes. But but before we can go any farther, guys, I think we need to celebrate uh, an anniversary of sorts. We do. This really? is episode 400 of Ion Cannon. Wow. Uh, hard to believe we've been podcasting for now 400 episodes. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, 400 episodes, but but put that in years. How long have we been podcasting? Oh, August will be our 15th year. Wow. We are that, we're getting old. We get almost actually, yeah, we can pretty soon start learning how to drive uh, as a podcast. So <laughs> I don't know how that's I feel about any of this, but uh, yeah, that's amazing. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that we've been it is doing this for that long. But oh. wow. Wow. Well, before we get into the episode, I know uh, for those of you who love soundtracks like me, the Mandalorian season three soundtrack part one covering chapters 17 through 20. That's episodes one through four. Uh, for those of you doing the math in your head um, is now available. So that's exciting. Of course, score by Joseph Shirley. I've been uh, listening to it a bit and it, it's, it's, it's still very enjoyable. I, I think it's, it, it misses a little bit of Ludwig Gorenson's magic, mm-hmm. but I'm still really enjoying it. So it, it's been, it's been fun. And Tom, you can listen to your, uh, your Disney theme park uh, music oh, on repeat. So great. So I can listen to Epcot Center over and over and over exactly. again. Thank you. You're welcome. You're well, I know how, how much you loved that track. <laughs> yeah, I really did. It's called Coruscant Street Fair for those of you looking for it. So, uh, yeah, with that, I mean, let's get into episode 400. Let's do this. We are reviewing The Mandalorian Chapter 21, The Pirate, directed by Peter Ramsey and written by John Favreau. In the synopsis of this episode, which to me is very questionable, the people of Navarro need protection from rampant pirate attacks. Okay, I have one problem with one word. I only saw one pirate attack, but we're going to get into that in a minute. No, you're misunderstanding, Tom. They pay by the laser, so it counts as multiple pirate attacks. (laughs) Well, okay, with the amount of ball turrets they had on that sucker, I would agree. That and those, I have to say, I'm gonna say this right now. That is one of the coolest designs of a spaceship, to where they have ball turrets for their guns and people actually have to man them. That was really cool. I but, agree. I love yeah. the look of Gorian Shard's ship. Absolutely. I'll, I'll be honest. When I saw the, because you know, I, I Disney Plus normally hides the descriptions, but I, I checked it off. I use an app to kind of keep track of TV shows, and I checked it off. And in the process, I accidentally clicked on it and I saw just the synopsis and I saw the the title the pirate and I was like oh we're going back to Gorian Shard like we knew he was going to show up again mm-hmm. he was fine he was a little a little cheesy and we talked about how he looked oh. kind of like a you know an easter basket Is- um <laughs> for for a beard uh, crossed <laughs> with uh... no I well his his I second need, okay. no Stephen, go ahead you go this. first Hold- no 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 you go first okay so the episode starts off. We've got Grief Karga. He's meeting with his civil engineers. A, I just want to call out, he's super rude when he dismisses them. He's like, go away, engineers. I was like, they probably have names. Like, <laughs> um, But Gorian Shard, you know, makes his, his uh, Skype call in, you know, and I don't... He's using Discord now, Steven. He's upgraded. Sorry, he's on Discord. What I... happened to Zoom, okay? <laughs> just kidding. That was some of the worst... Muppeteering, I think I've seen the lip sync was way off. No, it's not just the lip sync, like the whole I, thing. So, admittedly, I was watching on my phone, so like maybe it looked better, but for whatever reason, he looks like a Muppet, like he's got like 
his jaw is opening super wide for every word. And he doesn't do that later when you're, you see him in person. Like he's actually got like teeth and his mouth moves mm-hmm. more normally. Mm-hmm. I swear it was like watching just the Muppet version where like I could, I see there's a hand inside like <laughs> clapping up and down. It was, uh, it was so weird. Cause like you can like his design or not. Like he, you're right. He looks like a basket of seaweed, but like <laughs> it's a high quality basket of seaweed and his <laughs> mouth animation, whatever you want to call it was just, I was, I could not believe it. It looked. Awful. Yeah. That, that hologram okay. was, I definitely, it definitely felt off to me. It, it, it was, it was probably something to do with the zoom or the Skype or whatever phone call that the sync was just not can, there. I mean, imagine, look, he, look, episode five, ahead. we emperor calls into Darth Vader for the first time. And he just starts Muppet mouth in a Darth Vader. <laughs> okay. But no. Navarro doesn't have that great of 5G coverage, okay? And uh, yes, it's they, a small backwater world. Exactly. Yeah, they're that's not true. Part of the but, infrastructure bills, you know, no. it's just look, it's a whole mess. Absolutely. And, and and you would think, and you would think, being as close as that ship was to Grief Karga's home home base, it would probably be a little bit better. But you know, it just it just didn't work. The the yeah. the, the cell towers weren't just weren't there. <laughs> Grief hasn't he hasn't built those yet. No. Um no. but that's why he had the civil engineers there. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't disagree, Stephen. I I will say though, and where I was going with this a minute ago was at first I was like, oh, okay, we knew he had to show up at some point. We're gonna have the pirate episode. He'll go save Navarro. Okay, fine. It'll be I'm I'm sure it'll be enjoyable, but you know, not my favorite so far he hasn't been my favorite character. But I was floored. This episode, I just, I absolutely loved. I thought it was such a good episode, and I was complete, like my, it way surpassed my expectations. And I really, really enjoyed it. So, I was very pleasantly surprised uh, by the rest of the episode, and I'm very excited to dive in and dissect it with, with you two. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I totally get, to- totally agree. Yeah. Um. So Gorian Chard just starts opening fire on Navarro. Because grief refuses to uh, to pay him off and set a bad precedent, and you know, again, while grief did call him engineers, right? I was actually he he's consistently been a um, fairly uh, noble and altruistic now throughout this season, right? Always trying to help the people of Navarro and help out the Mandalorians, and um, you know, kind of he refuses to leave, right? He, when the city's under attack, he wants to stay there with his people, and so. Uh, you know, we know, of course, he's a good guy, but it's it's easy to forget that not too long ago, and it, this episode brings it up later, he was kind of the bad guy for a mm-hmm. brief period. Um, and I think it's too easy to forget that. But I, I liked, you know, I, I love I love how where he's come and how how yeah, he, how far he's come Lando, character. Right. Like, yeah. From uh, exactly. I guess Lando wasn't ever really a villain per se, but he made a bad no, deal with the um, Empire. But yeah, yeah. He went yeah, respect. It was just, a, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needed to redeem himself, and this is how he does it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um. So he he contacts good old Captain Carson Tiva, um, for help because who else do you turn to but the New Republic? And this gives us a little bit of a, a good portion of the episode that's not focused on Dinjarin or grief at all, but instead kind of gives us more of the new Republic through Captain Carson Tiva's eyes, kind of similar to two weeks ago. Um, and I really enjoyed it though. So let's, let's, let's talk about Adelphi base first, this new planet, presumably called Adelphi. I'm, I'm assuming. Um, Steven, I know you love the new Republic ships and, and the X wings and everything. Yeah. How did you feel seeing Adelphi base? So I feel sorry. Let me broadly. I feel mixed about a lot of the New Republic stuff, which I will talk about. Mm-hmm. I loved Adelphi base very much. That like scratch built, you know, military base type feel. They've got their ha- like mini hangers. They got their little bar set up. It's all prefab. It's all you know crap to use the slightly more offensive term. Um, but you it it felt. To me, like to me as a non-military person, like you know, it's that military outpost that is not 
not being taken care of, but is important. Um, and just seeing, you know, the X-Wings, the Y-Wings all chill in, like you'd, I would hope the New Republic would have upgraded from the Y-Wing, but I guess that's not a surprise when they're demilitarizing and all that type of stuff. But uh, yeah, and then we got the bar scene where, you know, he's uh, Carson Tiva's, you know, chilling, gets his message, calls for the message reader uh, and, and uh, a familiar face in the background popping up. Oh, Oh well, my I, gosh. I wouldn't I wouldn't say a familiar face popping up. I would say a familiar face actually acting. Who would have thought we would see Zeb in this episode? This came out of nowhere. It was so cool to Absolutely. see. Absolutely. And I thought he looked pretty dang good, all things considered. I think pretty he faithful to his really character. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be honest. I did not realize it was him actually Zeb until after the episode was out and I was or not out, but like after I'd watched it and I was kind of looking around online. Um, cause he popped up I'm like, wow, that is like a really good Lassat. looks exactly yes. like Zeb. The voice <laughs> yes. feels super similar too. Yep. like, good job guys. And I was like, oh no, that was literally Zeb. Yeah. Just yeah. awesome. Yeah. Totally, totally caught me off guard as well too. It, it took me, I think until just about the end of the scene to realize that was Zeb because it was a total dead giveaway. Steve Bloom was doing the voice. Mm. And I have to say his lip movement was a hell of a lot better than the pirate at the beginning. Oh yeah. And the... I just, I love they brought back Steve Bloom. You know, so, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't bring back the original actors, and it, it makes sense, right? He's, I think, CG. Uh, looks look pretty, looks CG. Um, and it, so it makes sense that they would bring back Steve Bloom. But oh my gosh, I just, it was so so cool to because he he was completely unexpected. I was just you weren't expect you never expect. You, I don't know. I feel like Ahsoka kind of made more sense. We kind of had a hint, right? Maybe Ahsoka might show up or whatever. Steve Bloom, there was no rumors, no hints that I've seen. And he just randomly shows up in the cantina. It's awesome. Do you, do you think we might see more of him? Or do you think this is just a, a cameo and, you know, not likely to show up again? I I hope it's just a cameo because how are they going to tie it into if he shows up in Ahsoka? And then how are they going to tie it into Rebels? I mean, what? Why? Why could uh, uh I mean that I mean that no this I mean this is way after Rebels so you know there's there's no oh, reason why that. there's sorry. no reason why he couldn't you know he could yeah he, he could, could join show up in Ahsoka that's true yeah yeah I I hope he does like I don't think Ahsoka started filming yet but like no I no it, it. it's wait no, it's, 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 it's coming mid, out yeah it's coming out like probably this summer if not I sooner be, oh, I wow. wouldn't be surprised until the break we'll find out yeah. But, you know, I, I would love if, you know, they were filming, happened, he happened to be on set. I'm like, hey, do you just want to, like, be the guy in the background for this? And he's like, yeah, sure. Love it. <laughs> it was awesome. Also, speaking of background characters, I did this, I missed this the first time. But do you know who's on the other end of the bar with Zeb and Carson Tiva? I missed all of them. None <laughs> other than Dave Filoni, Rick Famuyiwa, and Deborah Chow sitting there as their X-Wing pilots you know, we've seen them before in the series, but it's really cool that they're just they're chilling there with the Delphi squadron. It's so cool. Must be nice to be on that set, man. Yeah. Must you had so Zeb, nice. Dave, uh, Deborah Chow, Rick Famuyiwa. It was like, yeah, a who's who of uh, cameos there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. And like you, I really like I really like the look of the planet. And uh, and Zeb really gives Carson Tiva uh, they have a good discussion. He's he actually kind of plays a big role. So just, he just doesn't just pop his head up, you know, and like, hey, hey, how you guys doing? Right. He actually, you know, helps Tiva realize that now maybe. Maybe the New Republic won't help. They have such a backlog. Maybe they need to go. He needs to go to Coruscant and request help for Navarro. And, and so that's what he does. I also appreciated Zeb's line. Good luck. You're going to need it <laughs> like Han. So good. Yeah, it's a good line. Yeah, there, there are a couple ones in this episode. We also get a shot first reference, I believe, or yep. yep. this point. But yep. um, yeah, and it takes Carrots and TV to course. And this is where I started getting a little perplexed. OK, I can't. Wait I don't understand the New Republic's. Uh, bureaucracy, for lack of a better word. Like, Carson Tiva, he's a captain, serves on a military base. I would assume if he's looking for 
help dealing with an issue, he would go to a superior officer. But he goes to like mm-hmm. the same department that uh, why am I blanking out his name? The doctor from two episodes uh, ago. Uh, <laughs> I'm blanking. Dr. Pershing. Pershing. Pershing thank you. Pershing. Uh, he goes to like Dr. Pershing's place of work where they do requisitions and they like are dealing with Imperial records. And he like walks into an office effectively and asks for help there. And it makes zero sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. ah, yes, William, I, William, I really need to get a car. I'm going to go to the library because I can borrow things from the library. Um, I, they'll, they'll have a car for like, I don't, what is I, the I, public doing? I mean, I interpret this as, the New Republic is growing. They're a few years in now. They are. We know they're dismantling the New Republic fleet. Um, and now, which sorry, now I need to. You've you've hit my other point. Okay. Uh, I think it's Gorian Sean talk like when he's talking to Grief Karg, he makes a comment about you know the New Republic won't help you like they uh, like they won't. They're not even taking care of the the mid rim from pirate mm-hmm. attack. Why would they come out to the outer rim? Yep. And all I can is like okay, so. That like obviously Goring could be lying, but it implies there is a pattern of pirate attacks, not just in the outer rim, but even some out of in the mid rim. And the New Republic is still like decommissioning the military and leaving things like a Delphi base with like, ah, we'll just let a couple of starfighters deal with the entire outer rim. Okay, but even even Colonel Tuttle brought that up because when he was when there was asking for help, Tuttle sat there and said, Look, we have people it, Navarro's not in our jurisdiction. Okay, they're not part of the New Republic. We have planets that are in our jurisdiction that are part of the New Republic that we can't even send stuff to as well. So why are we going to end up helping someone who is not part of the New Republic? Which brings up Ellen Kane, who is the one that pointed that out. Yeah. Before we get to Kane, I agree, Tom. I I get that they're not helping. My issue, and to be fair, this... This stems pretty directly from the choices in the sequel trilogy and the aftermath trilogy. Mm-hmm. I feel like I wanted to see the New Republic and maybe like the Ahsoka show or you know some of those types of things will help fill in a little bit here. But like aftermath, the the book trilogy pretty clearly establishes that like the New Republic, the moment the Empire disintegrates um, over Jakku, the New Republic immediately turns in as like nope. Within six months, we need to get rid of the military. And that makes sense because we're working towards the sequel trilogy where the the whole point needs to be that the New Republic is blindsided by the First Order, doesn't believe they're a threat, and thus isn't capable of responding. Mm -hmm. And that direct line is fine if the New Republic didn't ever have any reason to like, hmm, maybe we should rethink our policy of not having a military. And so by introducing like widespread pirate attacks and things like that, I feel like it just makes the New New Republic feel more incompetent to me. It's not even just that they made a bad choice, but weren't proven wrong until the first order showed up. It's that they made a bad choice and like stuck with it. Okay. There's but bad even, stuff happening in the galaxy and they're still like, nah, we just don't really care about those things. Right. But he, Captain, Captain Carson even sat there and pointed out to Colonel Tuttle. It's like, look, there's much more things going on out there than, than, than you are seeing from this office. Okay. And, and he presented it to them and they're still just like, we, we can't do this because we're dismantling everything. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I don't know. You're you're right, Stephen. I, I guess I kind of see this as the New Republic. You know, it all kind of it does stem down stem from the decisions made in the sequel trilogy. But I, I kind of interpreted this as uh, you know the yes, they might be decommissioning the giant warships, right? That would go have to go up against the Star Destroyers, but the uh, maybe they don't. They're having just they they're not dis you know, decommissioning the X-Wings yet and that sort of thing. And so they can still have these squadrons going around in theory, you know, they're still like, they're still warlords they're dealing with. So they're not completely dropping things, but they are, they don't really want to keep staff. I mean, I feel like you have two options, right? You keep staffing up now that you are the, you know, the ruling power in the galaxy and make a bigger army or you're like, okay, well, we're, we're we don't really want to have a standing army, but we're going to, we're at least going to um, try to help people where we can. And so I think that's the decision that they're making and they just don't have enough resources. They're still spread too thin. I mean, they were just this tiny little rebellion that almost got wiped out, right? All of their forces were pretty much re- were at Endor. And then of course you had Jakku where, you know, everyone clashed and, and now you're, 
you're trying to keep the whole galaxy protected. And that's, yes, I mean, I think they should probably be doing a better job of, maybe they do need to staff up a bit more just so they can keep people safe because of the pirate attacks. But I just get the sense that they're, they're too, they're strapped too thin. And that, well, and that's why they can't help. Plus you have all these new people who are bureaucrats or maybe aren't as altruistic as the people at the top of the rebellion. And, you know, and that's kind of why everything's, falling apart that's and, and there's definitely an argument to be made i think that the first order i mean i don't know if it's technically the first order yet at this point but let's assume it is for ease of use um but they're clearly working to undermine things like that's what alia kane is doing you know you see she sees the, so, the soldier come in or uh the soldier sorry uh carson uh, to come in yeah and you can tell them way she maneuvers i'm like oh hey did you want me to go down and get you a bagel i mean it wasn't a bagel. i think she offered to get him other food but whatever and he's like, oh, no, hey, by the way, you were in the Outer Rim. And, like, you can see how the New Republic is being <laughs> yes. manipulated. Yeah. yeah, manipulated is the, the perfect word. Yeah. Um, and it works. Like, it does. Yeah. I, I also love the reference, like, oh, you've, you know, you've been to the Outer Rim, right? Have you ever heard of Navarro? And she's like, yeah. You know, because she, she's definitely been to Navarro. Mm-hmm. You know, at, uh, uh, yeah, and then, a, then she makes. Yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, working under Moff Gideon. So. Yeah, and then when she's called up by Captain Tiva, she's like, "No, I've been, I, 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 I'm now reformed. I'm now part of the Republic. I was rescued. I, I was liberated. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you want to sit there and just go, oh my God, that is the biggest piece of I have ever heard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she's she definitely knows how to. Uh, and then uh, yeah <laughs> and then that yeah and then that gets back to, to what we saw with dr pershing it's like it's like where I, I think we're now seeing the pattern of where she lies in the whole thing she's mm-hmm. a plant I, yeah I, oh well, yeah for and sure. I, don't, I don't i don't and i don't mean a, a plant that's growing in the corner of, a, of an office i mean she's an actual plant of let's say the imperial remnant before the first order so she is actually in the position to start manipulating things to get things going the way that's going to work in the remnant slash Gideon slash everybody's favor. Yeah. Also that, that reminds me, um, what, like, where is, um, what happened to Dr. Pershing? Like, cause she was clearly uh, the last person in that room when she, and nobody questioned her. And, I mean, I think, I think the takeaway we're supposed to bring from that episode, like as ridiculous as it is, is she's not caught for messing with Dr. Pershing. Yeah. No, it doesn't make any sense. See but... him pop up yeah. again. Yeah. And there will be no blame on her, but like realistically, like, yeah, everyone should blame him. Her. <laughs> yeah. Well, realistically, they should have a log that will show that she was the last person there to turn the dial up to 11 and walk out of the room with a guy dead on the table. Yep, and even her, the the Twi'lek in charge, he he left her there. So I feel like that's pretty obvious. Yeah, who was in the control room? No one else was there. Was there was a witness, and there was a witness. Yeah, and they've got to have security logs and footage. And when someone, mm-hmm. I don't know, I it's very interesting. I, I I'm very curious how they will address this later on in the season. You know, we're we're over halfway. There's you know three episodes left in the season. I don't know. I maybe it'll be a next week thing because they got a lot of bigger things they have to deal with. I I don't think they can wait till next season, but maybe. No, the the, the Pershing thing has to be addressed at some point this season because they had too much of an episode that revolved around his storyline. And now you're seeing her storyline continue from that point to where you can see she's being subvertive to what's going on in the Republic. So that storyline is going to have to present itself at some point. Yeah. I guess we'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that takes, so, you know, uh, unable to secure help. Carson Tiva flies to the Mandalorian covert to get Din's assistance. And at first I was like, how the heck is he finding Din so fast? I was, I was very glad they explained that R5-D4 is a little traitor and is reporting on uh, their location. Can, sorry, I 
can we take can I take a moment to like dissect sure. how Let's kind of ridiculous it. this plot point is? So R5D4 has apparently been reporting on to like to Carson Tiva, it seems like, as if the New Republic is a whole new, like because Tiva even says, like, I'll keep their location secret. So R5D4 is reporting directly to Carson Tiva. Car- R5D4 was picked up from Tatooine, mm-hmm. which I I thought it kind of implied that he'd never left, but like uh, whatever. But either way, he is in. I don't know. Uh, Kelly does say he worked for the rebellion. So yes, fair. Okay, but he's still he's on Tatooine with Pelimoto, who has there's no value there, and happens to get hooked up with the Mandalorian. Happens to go with them. Happens to be on the base, and he's just like, is he just re- literally reporting out constantly to Carson Tiva about where he is? Like, hey, Carson, just calling you up. It's R5-D4. So it turns out we have left Mandalore. We are now on our way. I guess I don't know know what the name of the planet is, but to the Mandalorian Covert. uh, Here are the coordinates. Um, Just so you know, like, heads up. (laughs) Why? Or does Carson be like, you know who I'm going to? Okay, got to find the Mandalorians. How Mm -hmm. would I find? Let me contact that droid that, as far as I know, has no relation to the Mandalorians whatsoever. Okay. I wonder if I Let's, wonder if Carson Tiva just put out a like a bulletin to the all the droids who are were in the rebellion that he knows mm-hmm. like maybe there's some sort of droid network. Hey, have you seen this guy? And R five D four just saw the signal and was like, oh yeah, I'm with him. Here you go. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that makes sense. Well, because otherwise it, you're it, right, Steven. It doesn't make any sense. Like how? There, there, there's there's another way you can you can make sense of this. Maybe he did go to Tatooine. Maybe somehow he ran into Pelimoto. Maybe Pelimoto told him, hey, I actually lent this guy a droid to go splunking, and it's R5, so why don't you contact him because he was part of the rebellion? I mean, Honestly, I don't know why he would have gone to Tatooine, but I prefer that line of thinking to what we actually got. (laughs) And I tell you honestly, I agree too, because I... I, Can we we go back one more step? Because I, I also find this very fascinating too about this doesn't make any sense. When you've got the Navarro refugees basically going away from the city that's completely been under attack, taken over by pirates, here's Grief Karga trying to, you know, assure the citizens that help is on the way. Woo! Did you see how small a group of citizens he had there? I mean, I'm like, that was such a small, for a town that big, sure, he's trying to build out. Sure, there's no more bounty hunters around. But you'd think there'd be more people in this group. It looked a lot bigger earlier in the episode. And it I don't did. know if they just all died or if it was just due to the realities uh, of the production budget where they're like, hey, this is the biggest crowd we can get at one point. I assume it was a mix. I actually have a little bit less because like we even see later, there there are still citizens in the city. They're That's true. being that abused is true by too. the pirates. Right. My read was it was more just like these were the ones that were able to escape with Good. grief cargo. Okay. But okay. And then that's one other thing I want to I, I want to get to. I think somehow, and I think for me, it showed when Captain Carson was walking into the uh, rebellion, uh, the the New Republic building, I get this feeling just somehow the production value of this seemed a little off. That upshot to the building just did not work for me. And somehow there are some shots gorgeous in this episode, but some shots for me look like they were just a little off and the production value was not that great. And for me, the Navarro citizen thing, and Stephen, you explained away perfectly what could have happened, but that just kind of didn't mesh at that point. I feel like this has been a recurring thing throughout this season of sometimes the show looks beautiful and gorgeous and amazing and cinematic and movie quality. And other times it looks just like a hint of fake. And I don't know why, especially compared to like Andor where everything looked so real. I mean, Kenobi had some of these problems too, where, you know, I think back particularly to the, the sequence where they're leaving for the fortress inquisitorius being picked up by the, uh, by the snow speeders um, look a little, a little fake. And I just don't know if it's due to budgets or time constraints with television or, or whatnot. Um, but I agree. Even like, you know, the way they, landed on their jetpacks in the last episode just sometimes just looked a little a little off yeah weaknesses of the volume perhaps yeah yeah possibly i don't know but um so so back to back to the covert though um so carson tiva he asks din for help 
And I I love how they were like, you, you basically burned us. You know, it doesn't matter if you keep the secret or not. And he promises to, but we can't stay here anymore. We got to go. Um, and of course, you know, Din was always, always, always going to help Mando. But this leads to a really interesting choice for the Mandalorians. If they go back and they help grief Karga, who again, they fought against where like, I forgot. I forgot about that, but they fought against Grief Karga briefly in season one, that great Mandalorian sequence, right? Um, if they go help him, they have an opportunity to go and, one, save a, you know someone who's been a friend to Din, and two, potentially actually get some land to settle on, which is huge for, for the Mandalorians. Uh, and of course, just when you think um Paz is going to uh he's gonna try to you know fight against Din and and say no we shouldn't go help he, you know he had us in the first half. Yeah he did he did uh, I, yeah I had a why feeling he was we, always going to why should we help those who have hurt us? Why should mm-hmm. we put our lives at risk? Because we're Mandalorians and exactly just... right perfect yeah I, I while it wasn't ever, I don't know. I I, I always kind of assumed he was going to do it. it. It was really nice to see how he really has come around. Like we talked about last week, you know, he now trusts both Din and Bo as a result mm-hmm. of them helping to save his son, and now he's he's backing them up, and they're fully on the same side. And it's really it's nice to see. Also, the use of the hammer as a talking stick was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah that, that was kind of cool. That made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, speaking of the hammer, like, so the next sequence obviously is we return to Navarro to liberate it from uh, the pirates. I don't know if it was just me, but there's that opening shot of Navarro with the the gate. It's not, I don't know if I, what to call it. Like, it's a big arch that normally goes into the entrance of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt like that arch was destroyed in a way that made it very, very identical to what that hammer looks like. Oh, Ooh. I'd have to watch. I have to watch it again. I I, I know I what you're talking know about because it looked like it was just uh, only half of it was there. Exactly. And it, yeah. hmm. it very clearly had been damaged. It was not right. in a good place. No. Um, I don't know if it was intentional, but I it felt like a an intentional, what, uh, not allegory. There's a word. Metaphor? Uh, I don't know. Something. It was on the tip. I knew exactly what you were talking about. Uh, it's almost like a tell. Yeah, it was, it was tell like, you knew what was coming. Man, that, I gotta go back and take another look. Foreshadow, yeah. foreshadow, foreshadow. Yeah, yeah. Th- this oh, this entire sequence yeah. though was just I loved it. I loved the the liberation of Navarro. It was so good. It was so good because I think right now it's something that we miss within the episodes, or at least within Star Wars, is we miss good fighter, you know, starfighter battles. Well, it and was it both. Just well, it was Starfighter, but 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 the other, like I agree with you. But it was also like watching the Mandalorians actually be oh. Mandalorians and and liberate a town, it d- drop from the ship from both ships yes. onto the ground like special forces, right? Working in tandem. It was just, it was it was awesome. It was really cool. It was probably one of my favorite scenes of like the Mandalorians attacking in the show so far. It was just. So cool. And they're pulling out all the stops, all their weapons and tricks. And like the way they take out those pirates of the close quarters, you know, Ugh. I, this is one of those things like it, it reminded me a lot of like some of the Karen Travis novels back in the day, mm-hmm. just the, mm-hmm. the full blow, like yeah. showcasing every part of like the Mandalorian arsenal. Like you said, William, like we've got rockets, yeah. we've got wrist launchers, we've got grapples, we've got jetpacks, like, it's just we one of those your... things where you're just like the entire time you're just like, yay, clap, clap, clap. Like, do more, do more, do more. Tricks. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And and you you also have your heavy gunner, which was Pop Vizsla. And then you got to see, I really would love to see, um, oh, God, why why did I blank on her? The armor. Uh, pardon? The armor. the armor. Yeah, the armor. Thank yep. you. Why? I'd love to see the armor use something else other than the hammer and hammer no, and, and no, the claw perfect. thing but no, no, that that claw thing no it was per- it was it was no, no, no. No, that cloth and, thing and was she grabbed someone's spine with her right. little clamps which oh. i realized it wasn't like the full spine but like no, but I, okay i i agree with you 
I, I love that whole scene. Just the full use of the hammer, the, the, the claw thing. I loved it one time. I would just love to see you use something different, but these are the tools of her trade and you can agree. That's how she's going to walk into a battle. No, it was just I, big bad. My only oh. note, Tom, I do agree right. to some degree. I just, I, they needed a better gong sound effect when she was hitting people with the hammer. Yes. Like, yes, 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 it, yes, yes. It needed just a, a little bit more, you know, like a gong, you know? Yeah. Bells ringing, uh, maybe some like little cuckoo birds going around. And yep. heads. Yep. But just <laughs> the entire sequence of them marching through the city was perfect. And I love the mm-hmm. little details. Like, you know, earlier in the episode, we get the uh, pirates, you know, shooting at a couple of the Kawaki monkey lizards and having the monkey lizards point out a oh my uh, God. Like ambush up ahead. Yeah. Out the, that was great. It was so good. And and perfect. we even get little shots, you know, like it's hard to sometimes hard to remember that. Wow. We, like, were you about to say little shots? I don't know of uh, <laughs> why am I blanking on his name now? I had such a good um the Anzellan. Uh, yes, the Anzellan. There you and, go. Uh, Babu Frick. Yeah. Were you about to make a little pun joke? A little I was joke not. About I was Frick, not. But oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, Maybe hearing from a lawyer. No, I was gonna say we get uh, little references to like th- things we other things we've seen throughout the series so far in Navarro because you know Navarro has been one of the planets the series returns to the most and and so we see like the the cantina where uh you know the client was and where they got holed up in at the uh in the season finale of uh season one we've got like spotchka from season one uh all the different locations the city looks so different that at times it's like oh my gosh it's the same place like we we know this courtyard um but it is it's i just i loved it Everything about this sequence was so good. And that's before we even talk about the space battle or the space battle, the air battle, which was also really cool with Mando and his N1 and Bo-Katan flying her. Uh, I'm pretty sure she calls it a gauntlet, but it's also a, a Comrec class transport. Uh, I love they name dropped that in the episode. And it's just, it's so good. Like they're just taking out the, it, the stub fighters. It's great. I was very middle on the first part of the episode. Um, I felt like the dialogue was a little weak. I felt like the plot points were a little contrived. And it, so it's like, this was one of those episodes for me where it's like, oh, the first half was like maybe a six for me. And the last half is just like a 10. Yeah, like, exactly. It's yep, yep. Just. Absolutely. It's pure perfection. Perfect. From the moment they, they head to Navarro, it's pure perfection. It's so good. It's not, it's almost two episodes when you look at it. Yeah. You know, and when it comes to the stuff fighters, I've got to say, I love those pirate snub fighters. And I love the one lead pirate is like, ah, look, I've got the Mandalorian in front of me. I'm going to be able to destroy him this time. Wait a minute. There's somebody below you. Wait a minute. There's somebody above you. I'm like watching this. Just, ah, uh, that was so fun. Good old vein. Yeah. It, 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 I especially liked how, um, you know, you, you just, it just shows how maneuverable the N one is just the fact that he's there. He's like everywhere at once. He's above usable. You, whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's great. Absolutely. And then when they, they take out that Corsair, it's such a beautiful ship, but when they take out that Corsair and it just, it's just a giant ball of flame right before it can kill all the, the citizens. There are so many moments in this episode and you just remind me of one of them. I wish I could remember the others where I felt like they were using like very classic star Wars sound effects Mm-hmm. And like the Corsair crashing was exactly the executor falling into the Death Star in episode six. Wow. And you're so I right. I remember. There were a couple others throughout the episode where I'm like, wow, that is like just the sound effect. That like the X Wing obviously has the, sorry, the, the X Wing and some of the scanning that, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Tiva does when he's mm-hmm. looking for the Mandalorian covert was the snow speeder scanning yep. sound when they're looking for mm-hmm. Han and Luke. Um, just, awesome job all around honestly Mm -hmm. and i can imagine because the corsair went down i don't think we're going to see gorian shard ever again and i'm okay with that i think he served his purpose right clearly i think someone's been behind the pirates i'm assuming mop kiddian um or someone who wants him back uh but and that's where again it kind of goes back to that thing i said at the beginning of the episode where at first i was a little disappointed because it was just gorian shard i would have been like ah Okay, whatever. But the Gorian shard scenes end up being my favorite of the episode because it just it leads to this incredible Mandalorian 
uh, fat fight, and it's oh, it's so and the ships and the pirates were so great. You know, I mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved it all, and I was very very pleased with how the episode turned out. And that's before we even get to like the end after the battle ends. Yeah, there's when, there's it. It seems like going. there's almost two tags. Yeah, there's yeah. two tags to this because you would figure that once they once Navarro's liberated, that would be it. But no, there's two tags. Exactly. So the the first one, uh, you know, grief officially gives the Mandalorians um, the, the 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 you know the land that he had previously offered to Din. They get everything from the Western Flats to Bullock Canyon. And I love that they called it Bullock Canyon because that's got to be a reference to Jeremy Bullock, right? Boba Fett, first first Mandalorian. I am so annoyed I did not catch that. And that has to be. I love it. It's so good. Uh, and, and it's it's really cool because they've come such a long way. In season one, they were hiding in the sewers. Remember they had that, the, found, the forge in the sewers and... Din would go below ground, talk to the Mandalorians, and uh, that was on Navarro. It's the same exact planet. Navarro just looks a lot prettier now. Mm-hmm. And now the Mandalorians are living in the open. They don't need to hide in the caves or have these coverts below ground somewhere on some random planet. They have a large tract of land where they can all be, you know, they can live their lives. The children can play in the sunlight. It's the whole thing is just, it's really cool. I, I love it. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought it's the coolest though. thing. It is. No, it, go ahead. Ask. But I have to, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. It's only, I, do you think they'll stay here very long? Because if they free Mandalore, are they just going to go home? I mean, there's, it's a little questionable how uh, livable Mandalore is right now. Mm-hmm. It would not surprise me to see, and this is what I'm. That's true. I again, like this is where I'm like, I feel like I'm in Karen Travis land again. Um, I feel like we're setting up Mandalore as the a Mandalorian empire of the outer rim or something along those lines with Navarro, Mandalore and perhaps other planets joining together under Mandalorian protection. And maybe I'm off base here, but that was very much the sense I was getting here. And this is like the beginning with the Mandalorians coming into the light and, you know, owning a part of this planet. I could see that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? With the I, New Republic not really doing, being able to provide protection, maybe they are the ones that provide yep. protection for this this portion of the galaxy. That's true. But something that's going to happen later that that I would think could throw that into question, because we'll get to that second part of the tag, that the first part of the tag we've got to get into. What did you guys think of the scene with the armor and Bo-Katan? <laughs> To see that forge the way it was, all derelict and dusty, was pretty cool. But the whole thing around it was just, what did you guys think? All, that whole scene. I mean, we had that discussion uh, last week where we were debating whether the armorer actually believed Bo or not. Um, I think this solidifies that, yeah, she did. And I'm, I was a little worried at first when, um, you know, the armorer was talking about, you know, Bogaton needing to you know reunite the people and I was like oh are we like I really didn't want the way or the you know the what the watch is it do they call it the watch why am I blinking yeah they Children call it the, the watch. watch okay yeah yeah I, the watch. I didn't want the watch to be the this is the true Mandalore um and I really appreciate the armor's recognition that like nope like it's time for Mandalorians to move into the future as a unification of Bo-Katan's tradition of Mandalore and the Watch's tradition of Mandalore. Yeah. Um, there was a moment where I wasn't sure when she asked Bo to take off her helmet. I was like, oh, this is a trap. She's mm-hmm. Bo's going to take off her helmet and then I'm going to be like, well, and now you're excommunicated. Why would you do that? Yeah. Right. Uh, and and to see the hesitation, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, Katie Saka played it beautifully, even without her helmet off, right? You could see how right. it was, that, those thoughts were going through her head. Is this a trap? Am I going to get kicked out? You know, it, yep. even though she's only been wearing her helmet for such a short time and following these rules, it's only been like an episode, really. Yeah. Um, she is already so, uh, you know, she she knows that it's a big deal taking off her helmet, and you can see how much she hesitates. And it's not until the armor says, you know, a second time, you know, hey, I'm, I I'm of a much higher status. Do what I say, and she's like, okay, fine. That mm-hmm. she takes off her helmet. 
and the armor basically admits, no, you are, you walk both, both paths and you are the one, the only one who can unite us. And throughout that whole scene, my jaw was on the floor. First, when she told her to take off the mm-hmm. helmet. And then later when she's like, you are the one who will unite us. Oh, so good. It's so good. And, yeah. And I yeah, love and- the shot as bo is walking towards her ship and the rest of the, the co uh the mm-hmm. watch are just looking at her like oh it's happened like yep mm-hmm. and they're all they're, 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 and, they yep. can't believe it either they're like why does yep. she not yep. have her helmet on and why is the armorer walking with her like it's not a big deal you know <laughs> yeah just really well done across the board there um mm-hmm. and it's I think I'm a little sad because do you guys think we're gonna see more bo my my sense at the end of this is that she's being not written out but her job is now not to retake Mandalore, but to go gather the other Mandalorians. Oh, interesting. I think it's the exact opposite. I think that's the thrust for the rest of the season, that she is, we're going to follow Bo and Din as they go reunite Mandalore and maybe defeat the Mythosaur. Okay, but but is is Din going to go with her? That was the thing, because I don't yeah, think, that's I think so. I didn't pick that up, but if, if, if he does, I mean, A, I'm glad, because anything that gets him out of his Naboo starfighter makes me happy. Um, and that, that uh, I totally agree with. Yeah. yeah. I, I think this is, this is setting up what's the rest of the season, which they've, mm-hmm. they've needed a bit more of a main thrust, you know, and like what we originally that was going to be, Hey, you're going to go with Mandalore. And they did that so quickly. And then they've kind of been treading water. They've been, they've been great episodes. Don't get me wrong, but they've been, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been really clear what their next step is. And in this case, I feel like it's pretty clearly, no, you're going to go unite Mandalore. And I don't know what that looks like. Uh, is it just go defeating the Mythosar and then, yay, everyone believes you've you've reunited Mandalore? Or is it something else? But I think well, that's going to be Bo's I, I, mission. Well, you gotta I, remember, I think... we, we do know that there is a um, like Imperial base or outpost of some kind near Mandalore. Yeah, I suspect that is the yeah. battle that will be to retake the planet first is dealing with, I mean, presumably Moff Gideon. Mm-hmm. That would, and, well, yeah. And we should also, talk about him in just a minute. At it from this point. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and I was going to say, if, if you want to look at this from this point of view, what better way to, to unite the Mandalorians when you have one that actually follows, like, let's say, Din, who is part of the Watch, mm-hmm. that follows this tradition of Mandalore, and then you've got you know, uh, Katie Sackhoff's character, Bo-Katan, the other part of Mandalore, the better way is both of them traveling together to show, look, we have basically tried, we're piecing the, the society together. We can accept both ways. And I think she even says this is the way, even with the helmet off. Right. So and, that and, does prove that, yeah. And even it, the it armor says they have and, much to learn from each other. You know, yes. like, and that's what so, I appreciated. It wasn't just... Like the armor was the one who said it first, who said, you're, you know, we are not perfect. And she's kind of their, in many ways, like their religious leader, you know, almost like, yep. and she was the one who's like, yeah, we're not, we're not quite right, you know? And now how, I just wonder how long is it until the rest of the, that Mandalorian covert starts removing their helmet too. Clearly they're not quite ready to do that yet, but they trust Bo-Katan enough that they want, they're okay with her kind of going back to her normal ways. And I bet we get a bunch of face reveals when at the end of the season, when they actually retake Mandalore, it will be a like, yeah, you know, the, the new founding of the watch, perhaps whatever mm-hmm. they decide to call it, the refounding of Mandalore and, you know, breathe in the Mandalorian air amongst your fellows for the first time. Mm-hmm. Go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense. Now, that leads to another thing that I find fascinating when it comes to the second part of, of you could say, the, the the tease at the end. The derelict ship. Okay. What did you guys think of this? Because there, there's a theory thrown out there about what Tiva found, but what did you guys think of the, the derelict ship? I mean, my, my A, the, the shooting on it or the cinematography was awesome, and I loved it. Um, I spent the first couple of minutes desperately trying to think, like, was Thrawn on an Imperial shuttle when we last saw him in Rebels? No, I think he was on the Chimera. Um, But, I mean, it's clearly Uh, the Republic now knows what happened to Moff Gideon. It's a little weird that 
I guess it was just rumors at this up until this point. Because um, mm-hmm. like obviously the shuttle that was taking him did not arrive. Right. I think the interesting question is obviously they find Mandalorian Beskar there. Right. Um, why? Where did it come from? Yeah. Well, and so so that that's a thing that I was thinking about. I don't think it was a Mandalorian or it may not be Mandalorians who sprung him. Because Beskar, remember when Din Djarin first saw the client, and the client at, had that whole Beskar in front of him. Who's to say that there's some Beskar left over? And they may be putting, like, let's say Moff Gideon somehow, or whoever sprung him, has Beskar armor as well. Did the so Dark Troopers mean it's have Mandalorian? I don't. That's the other thing that could be out so... there. Maybe the Dark Troopers now have Beskar. I, I I took this as one of two. I feel like there's one of two options. Either the Empire freed Moff Gideon and they're trying to frame the Mandalorians for some reason, which I feel like is mm-hmm. well, well weird, I guess there's three options. Yeah, but but that at this yeah, like why would they? Why would someone believe that the Mandalorians freed Moff Gideon when the Mandalorians have a ton of reason to hate him because he yeah. destroyed their planet? Uh, but okay, maybe, True. Uh, you know, maybe they're trying to frame them. They've also been, you know, th- presumably he's also, he or his followers have been stirring up the trouble with the pirates, et cetera. And, you know, we, the all the stuff with Dr. Pershing. So something's happening. Something nefarious is going on. Um, So that's one option. The other option, well, I guess the second option, there's, there's, I guess there's three, is that the Mandalorians actually did break him out. Um, and... Well, I guess, I guess option two, oh, sorry, option two, there's, there's like two sub options. Option two A is like the Mandalorians <laughs> broke him out for some unknown reason and actually wanted to help him. Option two B is that the Mandalorians bro- broke him out so that they could do something with him on their own not and keep him as a prisoner. Punish wouldn't him it be, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, like, wouldn't it be, be cool if he was been be. like locked up in the back of the covert this whole time and the armor had him for some nefarious <laughs> purpose i don't know i don't know <laughs> just torturing him just torturing for the pure the, the pure sense of torture because yeah like you destroyed our home planet we're going to make you suffer you know right. and... I, I don't think it will be that if only because i think they do need a villain for the back half of the season mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if they've got moff gideon there there isn't really anyone for them to fight yeah well let's see so no, no head person but, but I, I ultimately i think they're getting framed yeah, I yeah. think it's the only no, thing that, makes I, that sense. I agree. I think they're getting framed. Yeah, but again, why anyone would think that the Mandalorians would break well, out Mothman in when they helped? I did that. I actually don't think they're being framed. I think uh, Tiva is incorrectly making an assumption based on the evidence that he's finding. I don't think it's actually Mandalorian Beskar that they found, but Imperial Beskar from mm-hmm. you know whatever they happen to be doing. Like we know that there's mm-hmm. at least. At one point, was an imperial presence on Mandalore. It would not surprise me if they were working the Beskar mines. Yeah, it would make sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and the client had Beskar, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So know. that that gets my money. I don't know. Ah, this was just. I mean, we they've been hinting Moff Gideon for a while. It's nice to know he's officially, you know, on the loose, and we'll see what happens. But. This episode was just so good. I, y- you said it really well, Steve. I think the first half was was enjoyable, um, and then, but not like the, the best ever. And then the second half was just pure perfection through and through. And I, I loved every single second of it. Yeah. Um, if, oh. if you had to give it, say, a, a rating, William, maybe maybe mm. out of ten, using <laughs> Womp Rats as your your you know meter. Oh, um, oh, like I going back and forth between like an eight and a half and a nine, just because of that second half it was just so good. And seeing Zeb was a great surprise. It, it I loved it. Um, I'll give it a nine. I really enjoyed it. I really really yeah. enjoyed it. It was it was very good. How about uh, and my nine womp rats? They are uh, they're out there hanging out with Zeb. Zeb Zeb's having fun with the the nine womp rats. So there you go. So they're his pets. Yes, exactly. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, that works. That works. Uh, I'll volunteer to go next. Um, I'm giving the episode an eight point five. 
I guess for me, it's it's the it's the little bits that you see that that when it comes to the quality that that sticks out. But I gotta give it episode outstanding, hands down. Just so good of an episode, especially the 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 second half of it. So my eight point five Womp Rats, um, they are actually tasked to clean up the armorer's forge on Navarro. They're going to have to get rid of the spider webs. It's their responsibility to rebuild it and uh, basically get it set up and working again. So they're going to be put to work. Sadly, half of it, yeah, uh, half of one got injured. But, you know, workplace workplace injuries are a real issue in the Womp Rat community, Tom. Absolutely. They've been working with uh, OSHA, uh, but, you know, it's it's slow going sometimes. The new Republic bureaucracy, I mean, what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, I guess that leaves it to me. I I was really struggling with the first part of the episode. Like it started with the Gorian Shan like weird mouth movement talking, um, and just like I'll say the dialogue in this episode, especially in the first half, just it felt so overly straightforward to me. Like it was the first pass at the dialogue, and they never came back to like actually spruce it up and make it sound normal. Um, and so I was, I like, I watched the first like 15 minutes or so and had to stop for a little bit and then came back and watched the rest. And after the first 15, I was like, oh man, this is going to be a rough one. Um, and then the second half of the episode got around and never mind, it was amazing. Um, just one of the, like, honestly, it reminds me a lot of like landing a point rain in Clone Wars. And then there's just like, oh, you have, they've done just a beautiful job of rendering the art of war. I mean, landing point rain was horrific, but um like just this the I wasn't the air battle, the ground battle, all of it was just really, really well done. Like it it hung together. It had like some amount of stakes that you actually cared about. Um they just did an amazing job with it. And so I think I have to give it eight and a half. Um and uh actually sorry, before I tell you what I'm doing with my Womp Rats, the other thing is I, I talk about it a little bit. I at some point, I maybe when we get to like the season three recap for Mandalorian, I just need to go on my rant for the New Republic and its incompetence because it is starting to wear on me a little bit. Um, and I always compare it to like what we saw in Legends, but the New Republic just really, really irks me right now every time it shows up on screen because it just it feels like they've been written incompetently versus having reasons to be incompetent. Um, so that also bothered me in the first half. But yeah, anyway. Rant for another time, eight and a half out of 10. Um, and my eight and a half Womp Rats, I mean, so obviously someone rescued Moff Gideon. William, you walked through, you know, three options, but you missed one. Um, the Empire, you know, they they knew they need to compete. The Dark Trooper program didn't quite work out. It got all destroyed by Luke Skywalker. Um, so they've turned to their, their next piece. They've got this Beskar. They know the Beskar is, you know, powerful. It can do a lot of things for them but they don't have enough of it to like really armor their troops unless those troops are womp rats. So eight and a half womp rats. I mean, they were nine originally in the half. I mean, we saw what was left of him in the shuttle, uh, but they were the ones that executed a strategic raid on the new Republic shuttle transporting Mock Gideon to rescue him. And uh, I suspect we'll see more of them in, in the future. Too funny. Okay. Well, Oh, this was this was really fun, guys. I had a blast reviewing this episode with you guys. It just oh so so good. Um yep. coming up in uh about a week and a half, uh we'll have our review of The Mandalorian the season three, episode twenty-two. Um just a quick programming note. We have some uh, life events coming up. So um, the as much as we'd love to get the Bad Batch out, we really tried to figure out a time. Um, we are first going to review the Mandalorian, see, uh, finish up Mandalorian Season 3, and then we'll come back and do uh, our review of the Bad Batch in a few weeks. So we'll share more details on that as we get closer. But the Bad Batch Season 3, Season 2, sorry, finale is already out. I thought it was a great episode. Oh, God, I can't wait to discuss episode. with you guys. Uh, we will. So we will. We will. Don't worry. We will have our review. Uh, scheduling makes it a little bit challenging between, I think, 
most of us are going on vacations that just barely don't overlap with each other. <laughs> so there's not a lot of time. Uh, but uh, always fun. But we're we're we're, yep. we're gonna get through as much as we can, and we'll do the rest once we're all back. Just have a little bit to look forward to, and you know, enjoy. But don't worry. Uh, we'll have our review of The Mandalorian Chapter 22 uh, a little bit later than our usual Sunday, so probably like Monday uh, of, uh, next week. And um, and then, yeah, we'll do Bad Batch not too long after, hopefully. But uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Before we wrap up, anything else you guys want to you guys want to add? Mm, no, I just... Can't wait to talk about Bad Bats because, man, what an episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a great one. Um, so I guess with that, that's that's a wrap on episode 400 of Ion Cannon. And we'll be back in uh, about a week and a half with our review of The Mandalorian Chapter 22. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.